It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Quickly to Wall. Wall measures. Deal. Gets open for three. Hey guys, welcome to the Locked On Wizards Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Troy Halliburton, and joining me on the other line, my friend, she's got more jobs than Ryan Seacrest, Miss Monica McNutt. How are you doing today, Monica? I am fantastic, Troy, and you know what? Ryan Seacrest, that would be like bank account goals, job goals, success goals, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, well, you already have uh, work ethic goals, so the, you're, you're meeting those. So, you know, literally every time I talk to you, you're you're either on a plane flying across the country or in, in the quiet car heading up to New York. You know, you, you're, you're, the grind never stops with you, and so I, I, I definitely appreciate you for taking the time out of your uh, busy schedule to, to come on and, and talk some hoops with me. I love the way you tee that up because it sounds so beautiful and exciting. But let's, <laughs> I hope people listening get the grind. Like, that's, that's the key word there. But thank you, Troy. You've been an, an incredible supporter. I'm happy to be on the pod. Yeah. So it, it, when you talk about the grind, you know, you, you, you go to uh, a lot of basketball games all over the country, you know, whether you're covering uh, women's uh, college basketball in the Big East or whether you're covering uh, WNBA games. You know, you're, you're, you're right there front and center. And, you know, you, you draw from your own uh, personal experiences as, as a former Big East college basketball player. Um, but let, let's talk about the, the home basketball team, the Washington Mystics, and, and what they've been able to do in having one of the most uh, historic WNBA seasons, having, you know, one of the highest uh, point differentials as a team over the course of this season. What, what do you think has uh, allowed them to have uh, such a special season in which they have been, you know, nothing less than dominant? Well, okay, so let's break that down. I fully expected this team to be back in contention for a WNBA title. I necessarily did not anticipate them doing it this way, um, but I think in the offseason we saw the news of a lot of different WNBA names that we're accustomed to hearing, and even some that are on the rise, like Stewie, as battling injuries, and we were uncertain of what that would look like for the league in terms of, um, I guess, marketing and excitement. But I, overall, I'm very pleased that the league seems to have a great year. But this Mystic team in particular, I think you just saw key players continue to grow and then not only grow as individuals but grow as a team. I mean, to me, the biggest difference from watching this team early on when the season started um, in late May or mid-May uh, is the depth overall. I mean, you've got the two aerials that have come on strong. I love aerial action's game. Um, and then you've got Natasha Cloud, who has recently stepped into more of that point guard role with the absence of Christy Tolliver dealing with that bone bruise. So I could not have called how they've done it, the dominant way in which they've won ball games, um, the beautiful passing clinics that we see night in and night out. 
the outstanding shooting percentage from Elena Deladon. Um, but the fact that they are here, to me, is not a surprise. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really shouldn't be a surprise. I feel like, you know, the team came in with very high expectations, maybe even championship or bust expectations after uh, losing in the WNBA Finals last year. And so, you know, when when you talk about the, 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 the team's depth, you know, that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, Mike Tebow, who's the head coach, and he's also the general manager. You know, he he, he selected a lot of these players, and they brought back that core from last year, and you know they they had they suffered a disappointing loss where they were swept in the uh, WNBA Finals by the Seattle Storm. How do you think that that loss from last year has come in and served as a, as a motivating factor for the team coming into this season? Man, you know I think it, it's not just a singular loss. I think it's how they lost that series and getting swept and losing Game Three on their own floor. Um. You don't forget that as athletes. I think sometimes we make it a sports versus real life thing, but just as regular people, you don't forget the way people made you feel, right? Shout out to our good auntie Maya Angelou for that quote. Like, people remember how you make them feel. You also remember how losses make you feel as an athlete. And so with this particular group, because they returned their core, because the head coach is still intact, because they were so close, it's got to be championship or bust because we absolutely don't want to feel that way Again, and so what we've seen that you might be able to credit the dominant fashion in which they've been able to win is an elite level of focus from top to bottom. Yeah, I mean, and then when we talk about the top, uh, you know, they, they, they do both uh, arguably the best player in the WNBA. Uh, what, what have you seen from Elena Deladon from this season that has allowed her? I mean, she, she literally made history as the first WNBA player to record a 50-40-90 season. And uh, for those of you who don't know, at home, a 50-40-90 is when a player shoots over 50% from the field, 40% from three-point range, and 90% from the free throw line. And, you know, I mean, she shot 97% from the free throw line this season, which is, I mean, that's just remarkable for any level of basketball. But but what have you seen from her this season that has kind of allowed her to, you know, take her already great game to the next level? There's a such thing as, like, media speaks from athletes. Um, you see it in press conferences from coaches and players. You see it in some post-game interviews. But if you listen to Elena Deladon after games, particularly when she's talking to Holly Rowe on some of the national broadcasts, she always says she lets the game come to her. And I think that, while it sounds cliche, has levels, right? Like, if we're going with lyrics, like, there's levels to it in terms of her basketball IQ, her skill set, the gifts that she has physically, and then understanding how to allow the game come to you. If you watch her closely, very rarely offensively does she look frustrated unless it's about a call, right, or a contact where she feels like she should have earned a trip to the free throw line so she can make another one uh, free throw out of one or whatever. She's 97% from the field, so but from the free throw line. I think – her game is so well-rounded and so technical, and then you add her height. It's just one of the most dangerous combinations ever. And I know in that club where she joined with the 50-40-90 club um, is Kevin Durant, who I loved the other day because he sounded such like a dude from PG County when he tweeted or quote-tweeted the Mystics output and said, congratulations, big dog. I was like, absolutely, sir. Absolutely, sir. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, congratulations, big dog. That's like that's like DMV through and through. And so, but yeah, I think that that I mean that's a great uh, comparison when you talk about the you know the fact that you know her height gives her such an advantage. But with, with, I mean, with, with that shooting stroke though, I mean, I mean she can pretty much get her shot off over over anybody. And you know she she she's able to come out there and I mean she she she's absolutely amazing. But you know I think that it's uh, you know she she's obviously the star player. But what have you thought of the supporting cast and the help that she's gotten this year, in, in particular from uh, Natasha Cloud, who I believe has, you know, stepped up her game uh, over, over over the course of this season. I mean, and she's showing a versatility that, you know, I honestly didn't know that she had in her game. I mean, she's she. Uh, I, I was talking to somebody. Uh, I went to the game on uh, Sunday when they played the uh, Chicago Sky, and I said, you know, she kind of reminds me of, the WNBA's version of Pascal Siakam, where, you know, she has, like, extremely good size and she can literally do everything on the court. What, what have you seen from her in particular and the other uh, Mystic supporting cast that has kind of allowed them to, you know, to support uh, Elena Deladon and, and, and really have, like, a, a full depth, a full team that has allowed them to kind of dominate? I think it's just commitment and trust in one another. There's a great piece in the post out on Friday um, from Ava Wallace, who actually talked to Christy Tolliver, who's been absent. And the article talks about Christy's experience not being able to participate and how that's such an unusual place for her. But it also talks about how she's taken the opportunity to step back and put on more of a coaching hat and share notes with her teammates. And one of the people that it talks about her texting is Natasha Cloud. And so I think this team – because of that elite level of focus that we talked about earlier in the conversation, probably is far more sensitive to one another than they were last year, which allows you to accept criticism, accept praise, and make adjustments. And so I think when you think of Natasha Cloud's game and the way that it's grown in the past three years, my good friend Wilson Tarpe and I, we used to get sort of frustrated with her because sometimes it felt like she didn't understand the moment and the rhythm of the game and some of her decision-making. Well, here we are a couple years later. Um, and you have an opportunity to grow. You have an opportunity to work closely with Percy Oliver and even have to step in and fill in her shoes. So Natasha comes from pedigree programs in St. Joe's and University of Maryland under Brenda Freeze. So it really was just a matter of time. Um, so I think she's certainly done a yeoman's job in terms of stepping into that point guard position, which she had kind of been playing a little bit more off the ball last year. Um, but I think you, it doesn't just stop there. For me, I think Emma Mieseman is a huge X factor who wasn't exactly – consistently available last year. I mean, she she's just lights out around the basket, and she doesn't necessarily have to be just around the basket. I think Piana Hawkins comes in and is just all about getting boards and absorbing defensive contact. I mean, the two aerials, to me, they are quick to get up and down the floor and run alongside Natasha or Christy or Elena or whoever it is. So I think even when you talk about Shatori uh, Kimbrough Walker, like, it, it's a it's a total buy-in is what you're seeing. I mean, into Tebow's system, into one another's abilities, um, into chasing the crown. Yeah, I mean, you know, ch- chasing the crown, and I think that is, you know, no surprise that their uh, goal is to win the WNBA championship. And so, because they've dominated as much as they have this year, they finished as the number one seed and earned themselves a, a double buy in the WNBA playoffs. And so, you know, they're going to have to wait to see 
uh, with, with, the, with the two matchups on Sunday uh, as far as who they're going to play in the next round. What, what, what have you thought about the uh, WNBA playoffs so far? And also, uh, it, who, who do you think would be the best matchup for the Mystics uh, to play in the, uh, in the WNBA semifinals? You know, I so saw one of the things that I love about the playoffs this year is this reseeding thing. Um, so there's a scenario where we got to see what happens. Seattle will play Vegas. Shout out to my Georgetown teammate, Sugar Rogers, who plays for the Las Vegas Aces. And then on the other side of the bracket, I think it's Chicago gets – I'm blanking, Troy. Who does Chicago get? Yeah, no, I think it's Chicago plays the Aces, and I think Seattle plays the Sparks. Okay, right. Seattle plays the Sparks, I'm sorry, and Chicago plays the Aces. Yeah. Um, golly. God, okay, who do I have getting out of round two? Yeah, it's tough because, you know, that, that Seattle Seattle team, I'm surprised at the way that they've been able to play, you know, uh, missing uh, Brianna Stewart for the whole season. But, you know, they, they've uh, – Natasha Howard has really stepped up her game. And, uh, you know, obviously the, the Sparks are a – you know, they're, they're a team with, with Candace Parker. You know, they're, you know, always going to be dangerous. So, I mean, this is, I don't think this is a scenario where – you know, there's going to be any easy opponent on the other end of this. But, you know, I, I believe that uh, the Mystics are going to be ready for whoever they have to play. But who do you think was going to, is going to come out of those uh, two matchups uh, between uh, Seattle and the Sparks and then uh, Chicago versus the Aces? Ooh. So I really like what Chicago is doing. Their coach was named Coach of the Year. Um Man, this is tricky. Ooh. I think the Aces have, are up 2-1 in them on 2-1 against Chicago in the season series, but Diamond the Shields is like, whew, she's in another zone. The Aces early on were a very trendy pick to take it all, um, but you, I think Bill Lambier has talked about it at points this season. For a team to accomplish that in year one together would be a major feat. Ah, with this, I really, and I'm also very very much looking forward to the day the WNBA changes format. So I think round two should be at least best of three series as opposed to single elimination. Okay, but okay, let me get to the question. I think the Aces survive. I also think the Sparks get out, which means I believe but, that. Yeah, I would say if the Sparks get out, that means that the Sparks will be going to coming to D.C. and playing the Mystics. Right, as the, that was as the, the most because the Mystics would get the uh, the the lowest remaining lower seed. seed. Yep, yep. Um, which I love the idea of Candace Parker and Elena Deldon going head to head. Um, what's my girl out there that's shooting lights out? Chelsea Gray coming in and mixing it up from the three point line. Obviously, the Abumake sisters. Man, I you know for me it's a toss up on the Sparks or the Aces because both teams have such big. Um, Front, whether it be Asia Wilson and Liz Cambage, and then you mentioned Dierka Hambry, who was Player of the Year, or Sixth Woman of the Year, excuse me. I don't, you know, that's tough, Troy, but okay, for the sake of the question, I'm going to call the better matchup being, ooh, ah, the better matchup might be the Aces, because you hope inexperience becomes a factor, but if you look at the course of this season, the Sparks have been all over the place. So you're not really sure who you get. Um, right. They so, 
Oh God, that's tricky. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it, it's definitely tough when you when you have a team who is as sporadic as the Sparks have been this season. But you know, I I, I think that I, I'm one of those uh, people who believes that you know in playoff series where you know uh, uh, the the best players will always show up and and. And so I think that Candace Parker would probably be the the best player that they would uh, possibly see. So I'm I'm just going to go out there and, and vote that we don't want the Sparks to come to DC. <laughs> um, I, I there's some there's definitely some solid logic to that. Ah, um, yeah, ah, uh, yeah. I don't know, but the ace, the aces, mm, I mm, whatever. They've got losses to both those teams in the regular season, but we'll see what happens come playoff time for sure. Yeah, I mean, and you know what? That's the beauty, uh, as the old uh, adage goes, that's why they play the game. So, For you know, sure. I, I know that uh, it's going to be uh, very exciting times uh, next week uh, for whoever the Mystics end up playing. I know that I'll, I'll be in attendance uh, for, for, for the Mystics uh, playoff games. And so I know, I know that you, you've gotten a chance to attend a couple of Mystics games this year. What, what have you thought about the atmosphere down at the new arena at the ESA and, and do you think that it was a good move for them to to move their games from uh, 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 Capital One Arena uh, down to their to their own new arena where they can call their, their their own home court? Absolutely, I think ESA has been great. The stands are full. It does not look as empty and desolate as it did at Capital One Arena. I think the fans love the proximity that they have to the players. Um, I think it's been great. Parking's a little annoying, but parking was annoying at Cap 1, too, so we're not going to focus on that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that one of the things is the fact that, you know, I think that it's important the fact that the, the arena is in Southeast, is in Congress Heights, and so it's in a neighborhood in D.C. where, you know, they, they need economic development over there. And so when you when you have, you know, the, the, the arena being built, that's just the beginning. And, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be putting up uh, an apartment buildings and shops and, you know, all, all, all of that stuff like that uh, to go around the arena. And I think that that will be helping out uh, the, the, the community in a way that, you know, probably wouldn't have happened if they hadn't, if, if they would have chose to, you know, put the arena in Virginia or, or if they would have chose to put the arena in Georgetown or, or someplace like that. I feel like it just has a lot more impact on the community. And with you being a, a, a native uh, of the area, like just just talk about what what it means to you know have an arena down there in in that area in that part of town, and 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 what it could mean as far as the just just the development of that area. Hmm. We're gonna keep this all pleasant, right? Of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um. You know, it's crazy, and I think we're seeing this in metropolises, cities across the country. Um, amenities come in, and then the natives to that region are ultimately forced out. I certainly hope that that is not the case. But to your point, good attention, good energy, ep- economic opportunities are always good for a community. And so I think that has been a positive. I hope that whatever, say, Monumental and Ted Leonsis and his team might have as things expand, that they would hope to, that they would allow the community to remain true to itself to a degree, um, because you and I know that St. Elizabeth, the former insane asylum, as those are turned into luxury apartments, there's going to be a certain type of person that can afford those. Um, so I hope that as things change and continue to grow and evolve, um, we can still remain true to who we are, um, and we'll just have to see how that plays out. 
I think the arena being there is fantastic. I think the proximity to the Mystics, to the Go-Go, to the Wizards when they feel like getting active in the community is great. There are plenty of positives, um, but I think some of the concerns would probably be better voiced in a different space. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. And we're, we're going to make sure to, to, to keep it positive. And, but I, I, I will say this. As far as, you know, making sure that, you know, they're uplifting the community, as long as Natasha Cloud's on the team, they're, they're, they're going to be uplifting the community because, you know, she, she stands for, you know, everything D.C. And, and you know, she's been a, a fantastic ambassador for the city as far as speaking up against gun violence in Southeast and, you know, just, just everything, just overall trying to impact the community and use her platform as a, as a basketball player to not only, you know, talk about, you know, things that are going on inside the lines, but to, you know, to talk about, use her platform to, to increase uh, awareness around social activism. So, you know, like I said, as long as Natasha Cloud's on the team, like, they're, they're going to be trying to uplift the community. I love that about this generation of athletes. You're right. She has made it a point to voice her displeasure with how gun violence is taken care of in this city. Um, and I applaud her and commend her for that, and I hope that her voice is magnified and heard and people really understand what they have in Natasha Cloud in terms of being a gem that is sincere in her commitment to the community. Yeah, of course, of course. And I think that, you know, I think one, one, one of the things that I've noticed is the fact that it's not only Natasha Cloud, she, she speaks her mind, but it's not like the organization uh, is kind of just let her go out there on her own. She's received full support from, you know, everyone within the organization, from Mike Tebow, the head coach, you know, uh, all the way up to the top when we talk about uh, Ted Leonsis. So, you know, he's been very vocal and supportive of Natasha Cloud and everything that uh, she has tried to do in the community. And so, I, I mean, I think that that's just it, – it, it's just an overall uh, positive thing that's going on and, and everything that Ted is trying to do with uh, monumental basketball. And so, you know, the Mystics – they they are you know the the pride and joy of monumental basketball right now as they're you know getting ready to to play in the in the conference uh, in the, in the semifinals uh, waiting for their opponent but uh, the, the, there's another team uh, that's a part of monumental basketball which is the, the Washington Wizards and they haven't had as much success over the past few years as the Mystics have had. Uh, what, what what have you thought, what have been your uh, initial thoughts of the Wizards offseason and some of the changes that they have made, uh, not only to uh, the monumental basketball side as far as the GM and all the different hirings they've had, but uh, also on the, on the court side uh, with some of the additions that they've made? Um, I like the draft selection of Roy Hachimura. I was a big fan of Roy at Gonzaga. Ru not Roy, because, like, I'm from PG. Rui, excuse me. <laughs> um, Roy, I, was, Roy. I was a yeah, fan right, of Rui. Coming out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's a great pickup. You know, that's a lot of wait and see for me with the Wizards, Troy. Like, I just, I am not the biggest Scott Brooks fan, um, <laughs> to be frank. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a very common theme amongst uh, the Wizards uh, community. But go ahead. Yeah, so we got to wait and see. For me, the most exciting thing that they did, uh, Dwight Howard is gone, and then we're going to try this new front office. Because otherwise, like, we everybody knows John's contract, you know, what's Brad going to do, all of that. Like, 
there's not much to do right now. Like, there's not a ton of moves that can be made, which is unfortunate, but it's just going to require us to have some faith and have some patience. My guy, John Thompson III, is a part of that new decision-making team, Uh, a man who I trust in terms of his basketball acumen. So show me what you're worth. (laughs) Exactly. Well, you know, I I think uh, there's been a running joke on – on Wizards Twitter, like that, that we need a, a flow chart to, you know, kind of see what the new monumental basketball organization. We need to know who's doing what and who reports to who, and you know, I think that there's a, a lot that needs to be uh, hashed out when it comes to that. But you know, I mean, that, that's really the off the court stuff. But but focusing more on the the on court aspect of it, I too uh, like the Rui Hashimura pick. I think that you know he has. Uh, a lot of tools to his game already, and I feel like people focus way too much on the things that he can't do as far as, you know, not being able to really shoot three-pointers or, you know, maybe just some of the things that he's lacking on the defensive end. But, you know, losing focus on the fact that, you know, this is a, this is a guy who was dominant in college basketball last season. And so when you talk about, you know, production on the college level and him possessing the, the physical tools to be able to come in, I think that he's going to be able to have an impact early on in the season. But, you know, again, I think you a name that you brought up who is a, is going to be a very important factor in all of this is going to be Scott Brooks. And so when, when we talk about when he came over from OKC, you know, he was kind of known as, you know, a, a player developer. And, you know, I think that he might have gotten a little bit too much credit for, uh, you know, some of the player development of uh, uh, his OKC guys because, I mean, you know, I mean, he had Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook. I mean, I, I think, you know, anybody could, could, have, could have coached that and, and, and allowed those guys to become uh, the, the, the MVP players that they all ended up becoming. But I think that when we talk about him uh, being a good player developer, we'll be able to kind of see – you know, what what it is that he can do with, you know, a Rui Hashimura, a uh, Troy Brown Jr., uh, uh, continuing to develop uh, Thomas Bryant, uh, Admiral Schofield. You know, the, the Wizards, their, their roster is filled with so many different young players. So it, it's just going to be very interesting to see how they all develop. Uh, what, what, what do you think about some of the, the young Wizards and uh, the potential that they might have for the season? The, I'm literally trying to put this, like, thing on my nail, and I keep ripping it. So if I sound exaggerated, it is not because of you. That's some real lady work right there. Like, you <laughs> talking hook so and doing it, doing, getting your nail right at the same time, man. Hey, I, I, exactly. I, I respect it, Monica. <laughs> I appreciate that. Okay, so, all right, question at hand, the youth. Here's the thing about youth, right? Like, you don't know what you don't know. And I think in some, to some degree, that's beautiful. Thomas Bryant is not a rookie. He knows the ebbs and flows of what they went 28 games last year. Like, he knows that that blows. Uh, Admiral Schofield is a guy that was known as a hustler at Tennessee, um, diving on the floor for loose balls. We already talked about Rui. I'd love to see Troy Brown take his game to the next level and really kind of be a setup man for Brad. Um, I think right now you just get those guys to play hard and commit, which is going to be a daunting task because the team is not exactly formidable in the Eastern Conference. And so if you can get them to commit to playing hard despite catching L's, then you're on to something. I don't know what the rest of Scott Brooks' deal looks like. I don't know what would cause them to want to extend him or bring him back or let him go because I think people understand that we are in a little bit of a rebuild. Um, But to me, 
if we're watching guys grow exponentially, to your point about being a player developer, then we're on to something. Because then we can figure out what is worth holding on to as we move forward, or even what can grow in some value and maybe put us in a position to make some moves around the league. Yeah, well, as far as Scott Brooks, uh, as far as his uh, deal, he has two years left on his deal uh, worth uh, $7 million per year. And so uh, knowing what I know about uh, Ted Leonsis, I'm sure that he's not going to be too willing to just pay Scott Brooks to go away. So if I were a betting man, I'd say that Scott Brooks definitely finishes out his contract. So that means that he'll at least be the coach for the next uh, two seasons. And so, you know, I, I think that what you're talking about, we, they, they have to have patience uh, when, when it comes to these young players. But, I mean, I think some of that also has to fall on Scott Brooks, though, because, I mean, we, we got to see the young players. You know, I think that one of the frustrating things from last season was the fact that, you know, Troy Brown only played about 700 minutes, you know, for a team that only won 32 games last year. You know, but, but he was playing guys like, you know, Ron Baker and Sam Decker and, you know, Jason Randall. I love Jason Randall. That's my guy. But, you know, I mean, I, I, Troy Brown Jr. was the first-round draft. He was drafted 15th overall last year. At, at a certain point in the season when, you know, they realized that they weren't going anywhere, I mean, he should have been playing. And so I think that some of that has to fall on Scott Brooks. But I also think that, you know, it, it also starts at the top as well. And when you look at uh, – you know, Ernie Grunfeld was the, the team president. You know, he was clearly making moves, you know, last year to, you know, attempt to save his job. So, you know, he's bringing in guys. He's bringing in veterans. He's trading Otto Porter and bringing in Jabari Parker and Bobby Portis and all of these other guys. And they're playing a whole bunch of guys that, you know, aren't on the team anymore and definitely didn't have a future with the organization. But I think that now that Tommy Shepard is the GM, that, you know, that, that kind of leads to, uh, you know, that, that, that taking those uh, unrealistic expectations off. And so there's not a, a really, oh, well, we have somebody's had, they have to make the playoffs in order to save somebody's job. Where I, I think that, you know, they, they can actually try to develop their younger players and, and, and you know, try to try to see what they can do for the year. And so when, when we talk about uh, what we expect from the Wizards for this year, um, Las Vegas, you know, the, the sports book, they have set their expectations, and they have said that uh, the Wizards are, are going to win 27 and a half games. Now, if you, are, if you were a betting woman, what would you say? Would you say that they would go over or under that 27 and a half? I'm going to go a little bit over. I got them over four over. Okay. Can I do math? I got them at 32 wins. Is that math? Five over. I, just, yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I don't expect many more. But I think they might surprise us a couple times. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I think that, you know, when we talk about a team that has Bradley Bill on it, you know, I know they just came the Sports Illustrated Top 100 Players Rankings, and Bradley Bill came in at 22 on that list. And so I think that there, there's definitely a little bit of debate on, you know, uh, him going up uh, maybe a couple of spots, or maybe some people may say he should have gone down a couple of spots. But at the very least, the Wizards are dealing with a, you know, a top 25 player in the NBA. And so I think that it, it'll be extremely hard to have a player of Brad's caliber and have them not be able to win, you know, uh, close to 30 games this year. It, it, I mean, it, it'll be definitely uh, interesting. You, you said they'll, they'll, they'll barely go over. 
that means you're not really believing too much in, in the rest of the uh, Wizards roster besides uh, Bradley Bill. Uh-oh. You got me? Yeah, I got you. Okay. Um, I think that – and I, but, again, like, you got to remember that Vegas is largely based on, like, the national perception. So you and I know that there might be some gems and some moments that we would be surprised, but you and I also knew that this team would compete in the Eastern Conference playoffs when they came one game or they came, what, a series shy of getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, and so nationally, the Wizards are not a top team in the NBA conversation unless we're talking about John's deal or where Brad should be traded to. So Vegas is doing what Vegas does, and we'll see. The ball got to get tossed up. Yeah, you're right about that. And so, hey, I think that you, you touched on something that I uh, think is very interesting. Um, do you think that Bradley Bill is going to finish the entire year with the Wizards, or do you think that the, uh, that he ends up getting moved at some point? I don't. I don't think he will finish here. I think he will be moving on in December. Okay. Okay. We get we getting big big predictions right here from from Monica McNutt. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I mean, I don't. Brooks has two years left on his deal. John's deal, I'm not even going to, get a, going to get into that. You've got a bunch of youth around him. We're not in a place in the league where guys want to sit and wait it out and be loyal. I think Brad has said all the right things. But at some point, his team is going to look at his opportunity to be in a viable position to win. And right now, we can't present him with that. And what does two years from now look like in terms of his ability? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it'll, it'll be tough, especially I think that uh, when we look at the beginning of the season, it'll be very important to for them to how they start off. So if they start off hot, you know, I think that, you know, that might be encouraging for Brad and, you know, he, he, he might, you know, uh, think that, you know, there, there's something that they're building here. But if they start off cold, I mean, I think that, you know, he'll keep uh, his agent, uh, Mark Baldiston, uh he'll keep him on, on – on, on speed dial, and, you know, ho- hopefully it won't get to that point. But I think in this uh, day and age of the NBA, like where the player empowerment era, you see that, you know, if a player doesn't want to be uh, with, with the team anymore, I mean, he, he can make a phone call and pretty much force his way out uh, at the drop of a hat. And so hopefully it doesn't come to that. I think that Brad has said all of the right things as far as, you know, wanting wanting to be in D.C. and wanting to be the face of this franchise. And so, and and, and for the most part, I honestly believe him. I think that he does want to be there. I think that he does want to win here. I think that he does want to win with John. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, this is a business. So, you know, I, I think how, however the season starts and how, you know, they, they actually perform on the court, will certainly uh, influence uh, his decision-making process. Uh, Troy, I hope that you will invite me back on. Um, I've got a wrap because you know me and my multiple jobs. i got multiple jobs pinging, binging me right now. I've got to get of course, of done. course. But I will, say, I will say I think sometimes you can want something that may not necessarily be good for you, and it takes someone talking some sense into you for you to acknowledge that. I don't know that new Brad, which we have seen evolve in the absence of John, can go back to playing alongside John. I'm not one that believes that innately those two have an issue. I don't think that. I think that they are two young men, very successful, playing basketball. But I do think that in the way they have contrasting styles, I don't think it's personal, but I just don't know that the Brad that would lead a team potentially 
um, that has no other superstars to win 30 or more games is the same Brad that will play alongside John, who was once a perennial superstar. Now, we don't know what John is going to look like coming back off of his injury, but while Brad's heart is in the right place, I would not begrudge him if he moves on from D.C. Yeah, I don't I don't think anybody could. So I think that, that that's a perfect way to uh, end this podcast. Uh, Monica, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of uh, plug your work and let the listeners know where they can find you. Wow. Okay, so I'm on social, McNutt Monica, because, you know, I think I have such a fantastic last name. In fact, you can just call me McNutt. It works for me. Um, please check out my pods. I've got Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Pure Hoops Media, available where most iPods are, iPods, where most podcasts are available. Um, and then 26 Minutes with Clinton Portis, uh, which we do with the Redskins, talking a little bit of football if you want to go from the round ball to the oblong ball. Um, and then on social, I guess I'll just be tweeting what I'll be up to, um, Big East, ACC, MSG, like you, the jobs, y'all, like my Ryan Seacrest jobs. I just follow it's me all- and tweet out <laughs> all of the jobs, man. Hey, hey, I'm 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 glad that you were able to take out a little bit of time to come on. I didn't even have to go through your agent, so you know that's how you know we real friends out <laughs> <right> here. <laughs> that's hilarious. Thanks for having me on, Troy. Of course, of course, Monica. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right.